If you would be so kind as to turn to the book of Hosea, the book of Hosea, as God allows over the next several weeks, we'll be taking a look, a bit of a bird's eye look at this book. I'm not going to try to spend time with every verse in every chapter, but to uh, really, uh, we'll, we'll delve a little deeper in some sections than in others but to have the, the uh, overview of the message of this book, exploring the concept that God is faithful to us even when we are unfaithful. And I pray that as we go through this uh, precious, uh, con- consider it a minor prophets because it's, it's a little shorter, but it's one of the longer ones of the minor prophets. Uh, certainly there's nothing minor about the message of this, uh, this prophet of God. So uh, we'll begin reading at uh, chapter 1 and verse 1, and I will read on down through chapter 2 and verse 1. If you're able, please, to stand for the reading of God's holy word, I'd invite you to do so. Hosea 1. The word of Yahweh that came to Hosea the son of Beeri in the days of Uzziah, uh, Jotham, Ahaz, Hezekiah, kings of Judah, and in the days of Jeroboam, the son of Joash, king of Israel. When Yahweh first spoke through Hosea, Yahweh said to Hosea, Go, take to yourself a wife of whoredom and have children of whoredom, for the land commits great whoredom by forsaking Yahweh. So he went and took Gomer, the son, the, the, the daughter of Diblaim, and she conceived and bore him a son. And Yahweh said to him, call his name Jezreel, for in just a little while I will punish the house of Jehu for the blood of Jezreel, and I will put an end to the kingdom of the house of Israel. And on that day I will break the bow of Israel in the valley of Jezreel. She conceived again. And bore a daughter, and Yahweh said to him, Call her name No Mercy, for I will no more have mercy on the house of Israel to forgive them at all. But I will have mercy on the house of Judah, and I will save them by Yahweh their God. I will not save them by bow, or by sword, or by war, or by horses, or by horsemen. When she had weaned No Mercy, she conceived and bore a son. And Yahweh said, Call his name not my people, for you are not my people, and I am not your God. Yet the number of the children of Israel shall be like the sand of the sea, which cannot be measured or numbered. And in the place where it was said to them, you are not my people, it shall be said to them, children of the living God. And the children of Judah and the children of Israel shall be gathered together, and they shall appoint for themselves one head, and they shall go up from the land, for great shall be the day of Jezreel. Say to your brothers, you are my people, and to your sisters, you have received mercy. God adds his blessing to the reading and hearing of his holy word. Please do be seated. <clears throat> now you'll notice in the bulletin, I've got the title here, uh, the subtitle, uh, after a prophet of a saving God, Overture. Um, if you're got any musical background at all you're probably familiar with the idea of an overture particularly in 
in an opera or something where you really see it done, an extended piece of music where uh, that overture brings together all of the themes that are going to be uh, explored and sung and performed in the remaining whole of the work. And you get little snippets of all of it as kind of a preview of the tunes and, and uh, the general progress of things that uh, is about to happen. Well, in a sense, chapters one through three are really uh, an overture to the rest of the book. They set the tone for the entire book as God commands Hosea to, to marry a woman who time will prove to be faithless. And the children of Gomer uh, that she bears, um, her harlotry, Hosea's abiding love in the face of betrayal, and the restoration of the marriage, all speak to the relationship that God has established with his people, which is really what this book is all about. The key verse of this uh, prophecy is found in chapter 3 and verse 1. Then Yahweh said to me, Go again, love a woman who is loved by a lover and is committing adultery, just like the love of Yahweh for the children of Israel who look to other gods and love raisin cakes. Israel was filled with a desire for, for pleasure and idolatry, and yet the Lord loved them in spite of it. As he dealt with them, certainly there would be judgment, there'd be correction, but he loved them and would not ultimately abandon them. Some of you are probably familiar with this, but uh, Hosea's name, know what it means? It means salvation. It means salvation. And so his book is all about the enduring salvation that is ours in Yahweh, our covenant God. And particularly, as we're able to look back on this book through the eyes of the New Testament, we recognize that God's faithfulness is not ours because of our works, but it's because of the Father's decision, Christ's work, and the Spirit's regenerating power. So, as I've said before, Hosea's book teaches us that God is faithful to us even when we are unfaithful. <clears throat> now, here in this part of the overture, as it will, uh, we have uh, a picture of Hosea's family life. And it's not a very nice picture. It's a pretty rough picture, in fact. So you can see the time, the time stamp there in uh, verse 1 as Hosea is ministering in the days of Uzziah and Jotham, Ahaz, and Hezekiah. So he has a fairly lengthy ministry. And he's, if, if you recognize those names from the kings of Judah, you know that uh, <clears throat> some, like Uzziah and Hezekiah especially, were more righteous kings. Um, Jotham had his moments. Ahaz was certainly not a righteous king. And Jeroboam uh, was an idolater of the first order and led people away, uh, the son of Joash. And so uh, the Lord, as you can tell just from the reading that we've done here, uh, has uh, basically had it up to here 
uh, with Israel and their sin against him. But let's think about this. This is an incredibly remarkable uh, situation and one that as I was reading through it, as you have read through it, I imagine that uh, you're, particularly if it's the first time you've read through this, your your eyebrows would be raised going, what in the world is the Lord doing here? Why is he asking Hosea to do something that is most certainly going to bring grief and sorrow to Hosea, not to mention to the, the children that are involved and everyone else that's concerned. So let's think about uh, this woman that the Lord commands Israel, uh, commands Hosea to go and marry. Uh, he goes and takes uh, Gomer, the daughter of Diblaim. <clears throat> and he tells Hosea, take to yourself a wife of Hordom and have children of Hordom. This is shocking to even think about it. What in the world does this mean? What is God doing? God's, God's command to marry an immoral woman poses a major ethical question. Does, is God setting aside his own rules in order to accomplish a point, proving a point? Now I've got... I didn't leave you a lot of room to write this in the notes, so you can just listen to most of it. There's five main possibilities that, of how to deal with this and what is going on. So I gave you enough to write down what I think is the correct one, but uh, you can listen to the others, maybe summarize them. First of all, <clears throat> uh, folks like uh, John Calvin, for example, um, and uh, 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 Maimonides, uh, uh, a scholastic, uh, early scholastic uh, scholar, um, thought that the marriage that is being referred to here is just an allegorical device to try to communicate God's displeasure with Israel. Well, I mean, there's an element of truth there. Uh, certainly there is an allegory that goes on. Because, I mean, he even says, this is just like what Israel has done to me and how I'm responding to them. <clears throat> uh, but... The problem is, is that nowhere is there any indication that this command that is being done, the actual actions, are allegorical at all. It's stated that this is something that should be be done. And you get in there with uh, having the kids and everything else, and they don't appear to be allegories um, as far as, yes, they have significance in their names. We'll talk about that in a bit. But it, they're, actual, they're actual children. There's an actual woman. This is... It's not just a, f- a figure of speech as if there's no marriage that's taken place at all. Uh, it does seem to be historical and, and uh, uh, something that literally God is commanding. So that, that doesn't help us. It doesn't help us at all. Um, a second option is that we regard Gomer as actually a harlot, perhaps a temple prostitute. Um. And this option would suggest that God actually is setting his rules aside, that it's okay, you know, to marry such a person and to be involved with such a person, which he's commanded elsewhere is absolutely forbidden. It's an abomination. Um, But okay, let's say this option would say that he sets those rules aside to demonstrate his grace for an undeserving people. Now that sounds 
uh, noble and all of that, but um, uh, there's, there's a problem. The, the law is so explicit regarding this that for Hosea to do this uh, would totally destroy his ministry, utterly. I mean, the, and the woman and him, uh, according to the law, should be stoned. Okay, so we've got, this is, this is a big problem. The righteous would have insisted, especially that she be stoned. They would have ignored Hosea's objection saying, hey, God commanded me to do this. And if they were righteous, they would have gone, how in the world is God going to command you to, do, to break his own law and go against his own character? So this, this doesn't really work. Um, and of course, the ungodly among them would have just cheered while dismissing anything that Hosea had to say of consequence. So that option doesn't seem to be very helpful. Uh, a third option is that <clears throat> uh, this one gets a little... Uh, a little mystical, sort of, uh, thinking that maybe Gomer is, she's an idolatress. She's guilty, not so much of, of physical immorality, but spiritual immorality, spiritual unfaithfulness to God. But the, the problem here is that it's hardly less sinful to marry a blatant unbeliever than an adulterous believer. I'm not sure that there's any improvement there. Uh, whatsoever, First uh, Corinthians chapter seven, Paul speaks to that that thought, and and, and then if it's just spiritual, um, she's just an idolatress. Well, then the the children being born, uh, either they're just a figment of somebody's imagination, or they have no real significance. It, so that doesn't work. All right, follow me so far. You see, you see, I hope everybody's mental juices are going. How's this problem going to get resolved? Here's the fourth option. Gomer started off pure, but she soon turned unfaithful. Uh, the badge wife of whoredom uh, would then reflect God's knowledge of what she would become. And somehow uh, this supposedly lets Hosea and God uh, off the ethical hook. But the problem is, is that God is saying in, in, one, uh, in verse two, chapter 1 and verse 2, he's not saying, go take to yourself a wife who will become immoral. He's saying, Taking, take a wife who is immoral. All right? Um, he's saying what Gomer is, not what she would become. Besides which, we know that time has no, as we know it, has no real significance for God. It really does take us back to the second option um, that uh, he's he's still telling he's still telling uh, uh, Hosea to go marry an adulterous woman. So that doesn't it doesn't help us at all. Fifth option, and this one, um, uh, a, a friend of mine who is a professor uh, back at um, Puritan. Um, Reformed Theological Seminary in Michigan, Michael Barrett is a marvelous commentator um, and excellent theologian. And he put forth this option uh, in his uh, comments on the book of Hosea that I think has a lot of merit. His, his thought, and I agree with him, is that, Moses, that uh, 
that uh, Gomer was a woman who had a propensity towards immorality. That is, she's a child of the times. It really seems to fit the context. Israel is living in idolatry, in idolatry and in immorality. It's, it's the norm, and Hosea is being sent to marry, uh, or, or into, into that situation, and is told to marry a woman who is a child of the times. He's, uh, um, he's not being told to go marry someone who's actively in prostitution or anything like that. Uh, the word here for whoredom is not the usual term, by the way, that's used to describe prostitution. It is an abstract term that seems to be speaking more to inner characteristics than actual behavior. Um, her immorality is a strong potential because she is a child of her times and she soon became what she thought about. So all of these uh, could uh, perhaps have their challenges, but I think that's probably the best one here. Uh, the Lord is, um, there, there's no, uh, Gomer, in other words, is not uh, um, being forced by God to be immoral or, and Homer is, uh, Homer, Tell you, I'm having trouble with names today. Hosea is uh, not being told to go marry someone who's knowingly, uh, he know, whom he knows to actually be uh, adulterous. But in any case, she is a, a woman who certainly, whose life is going to demonstrate that she is not faithless, not faithful at all. She is more concerned about herself and her own pleasures than she is about her relationship to Hosea. And that is very much um, what we see with Israel and Israel's relationship with God. And un, uh, if I can, if you'll allow me to uh, uh, make the application to our own time, certainly within the church of Jesus Christ, the Lord has yeah, has called us to himself, has initiated a covenant with us, has redeemed his people, and yet we, being children of the times, are all too prone to, as the psalmist says, to turn all like sheep we've gone astray, we turn everyone to our own way. The Lord has to lay the iniquity of Christ uh, our, our iniquities upon Christ and make him sin for us who knew no sin. So th that's, that's the picture of Gomer and by extension of Israel and those even among us who uh, claim the name of Christ and claim a relationship and yet love to pursue our own pleasures and worship by our actions and deeds, uh, any number of things other than our one true God, our, our spouse, spiritually speaking. So, that's the wife. Now, let's think about the children. And we see, uh, beginning in uh, verse 4, and then running on down through chapter 2 and verse 1, the discussion of the children, and this, this is a, some incredible contrasts here. Now, he tells Hosea, 
God tells Hosea to marry a woman of whoredom and have children of whoredom. Now, if he's married, this is another reason why we don't um, go with one of those options that, that she's an actual whatever, um, prostitute harlot. Um, this does not mean that Gomer had children before she married Hosea. Uh, if they were uh, children that came out of uh, the relationship with Hosea, well, that's not a whoredom situation, right? That's a legitimate situation. So what is the Lord saying here? Um, it, it is interesting, <clears throat> as we look at uh, these children, that it appears that only one of them was actually legitimate. The first one, Jezreel. Um, and we'll see that a little more clearly as we go along. It, the uh, ESV has it uh, translated quite well here. Take to yourself a wife of whoredom and have children of whoredom. It means that like their mother, the children are likely to follow the evil of their time. And so as we look at these three kids, we're going to learn something about the way God deals with his people. Now the first one, um, uh, Hosea, verse 3, goes and he takes Gomer and she conceives and bears him a son. Jezreel is the legitimate son of God's planning and ordination here. Um, and I say planting de uh, deliberately because the word Jezreel means God sows. S-O-W-S. There's a double meaning here that I think is is pretty apparent. God sows a son to anticipate the sowing and reaping of judgment. So in, in God giving the son, he's legitimate before the Lord, and yet he's basically saying, the Lord is saying, not, you know, the normally, normally when you have uh, your, your children, you're usually pretty happy about this. And perhaps Hosea and Gomer were in a particular way. But it was God says, this is what his name is, because this is what I'm going to do. He is going to bring judgment in the valley of Jezreel, very fertile valley. It's uh, where Assyria conquered the northern kingdom and carried them away. Um, this is a promise of judgment that uh, kind of almost, a, uh, you know, we talk about what, we've, what we sow, that we will also reap, right? Well, God is sowing, and it will bear forth the fruit of his judgment. And that is something that is legitimate. You can uh, depend upon it. This is from God himself. He's the, Jezreel is the firstborn, right? So he's the son of power. Uh, he symbolizes the, the bow, the power that's going to be broken in the valley of Jezreel. Yeah, as as. I, I, I have to think that Hosea and Gomer, with the birth of their firstborn son, found some joy in that occasion, nonetheless. But to know that this child was given as a sign of judgment um, had to be a hard pill to swallow. Perhaps, as one of 
the motivations or the excuses that Gomer would, would give for being unfaithful. Because it does appear that in the next two children that Hosea is not the father. In verse 6, she conceives again, it says. Now, it's a little bit of an argument from silence, but based upon some other texts, uh, chapter 2 and verse 4, upon her children also I will have no mercy because they are children of whoredom. And then also uh, a little bit later on in chapter 3 and verse 1, the Lord said to me, come again, love a woman who's loved by another man and is an adulteress, even as Yahweh loves the children of Israel, though they turn to other gods and love cakes or raisins. It appears that the latter two children are illegitimate children. The name that is given to the daughter in verses 6 and 7, now we just have the English translation here, no mercy. Uh, the Hebrew is lo, which means no or not. Uh, Ruhamah is the word for mercy. So no mercy there. There's no lack. There's no reference to Hosea at all here. It appears that Gomer has despised her husband, has scorned his tenderness, has gone after uh, the love of another, and essentially the Lord is saying, as she bears this child, um, he's he states right out that he's not going to spare. Um, there is no mercy. There's no compassion that God is going to show upon his people who despise his love. That's a, how would you like to have the Lord say to you, this is what you're going to name your child. No mercy, no compassion. Israel needed to be paying attention to what God is saying here. Just as you and I need to pay attention that, uh, and be careful not to despise our Lord's love and look for uh, pleasure, satisfaction, and deliverance from any other. Well, more time goes on. You notice that uh, she finishes weaning one and then she gets pregnant again, whether by uh, so another, a, a, a third guy or whatever, we're not told. That's really beside the point. It doesn't matter. It doesn't appear to be Hosea again. She's, uh, she has not just had an indiscretion, which maybe if you were of the charitable sort, uh, charitable in a worldly sense of, oh, it doesn't matter kind of sort, you might oh, overlook the first affair, but it's clear that Gomer is uh, in complete and utter rebellion and has abandoned any, any appearance of of righteousness, any appearance of honor, uh, of, uh, of honor, any appearance of, of, uh, of commitment to her husband as she has another child here. And so this son gets a name that fits that circumstance. Not just no mercy, that there's judgment coming and God will not spare, but this one is lo ami, and lo again not, uh, or no, Ami means people. You're not even my people. You completely abandoned me, the Lord is saying. Um, Hosea gets to call his son no people. Lo, Ami. Hosea knows the child is not his. And 
It's also the cry, not just of Hosea, but of God, who turns his back on a faithless nation. It's a rough situation, is it not? I'm thankful this section doesn't end here. But let's pause for a minute at this point and think about the ramifications of sin as we have a tendency to turn away from our Lord. We ought to seriously consider what God has said here, that he is going to bring judgment upon his faithless people. He's, and they were faithless, obviously, before this event. That's why he sent Hosea to do this, to have this vivid picture of what was going on. This would have been something that in, in, uh, in Hosea's world, in their communities, it would have been known what Gomer was and what she was doing. And uh, the blame that everyone would have looked at was, uh, would be all on her shoulders, not Hosea's, as, as she abandoned the marriage and went after another. Judgment would be expected to follow without mercy and even indeed to the point where it would give the appearance that God would turn his back on the people of promise, uh, those whom he had said that he would be there, God, and would be, and they would be his people. So that's where we're at here. And if we stop at that point, it's pretty hopeless. But I am very thankful for uh, the promised uh, reversal of fortune that we see in verses 10 and following. When you look there, yet the number of the children of Israel shall be like the sand of the sea, which cannot be measured or numbered. And in the place where it was said to them, you are not my people, it shall be said to them, children of the living God. And the children of Judah and the children of Israel shall be gathered together. They shall appoint for themselves one head and they shall go up from the land. For great shall be the day of Jezreel. The judgment will take place. And certainly there's an immediate uh, fulfillment of this, or more or less immediate, as the Assyrians would come, as I mentioned before, and carry off the northern kingdom. But the Lord, throughout the prophets, uh, while he promises judgment upon those people of his that are in rebellion, he also promises their ultimate deliverance. So when he has said, I'm not going to, I'm not going to be your people, I'm not going to... Uh, uh, in verse, I guess, as in verse eight and nine, when he says, uh, "You're not my people, and I'm not your God," uh, he's not speaking in an eternal sense. He hasn't forgotten his eternal promises, but they will not be able to say, "Hey, Lord, we're we're your people, so you should preserve us from all judgment and not do that." Um, and he's like, "No, you have demonstrated that your hearts are far from me." And the judgment is certain. But he has not ultimately forgotten his people and not forgotten his promises to them that he's made many times before. And again, that should encourage us. How many times since you were born again have you sinned? How many times have you been filled with pride and selfishness and anger that's unjustified 
How long have you spent more time thinking about the things of the earth than the things of God? How many times have you erected idols in your heart of people or position or power or possessions? To the exclusion of what's truly important, the worship of the Most High God and devotion to Him. Would the Lord be justified in abandoning us? Well, all things being equal, of course He would, except for one little thing. And that's the promise of redemption in the Lord Jesus Christ and the covenant made from before the foundation of the world through Jesus Christ that his people would not be lost. And so for the sake of Christ, our Lord is faithful. For the sake of his own grace and mercy, he is faithful to his people. And that's what we see here, what seems like, I mean, you get to verse 10 and it's like this complete, you know, 180 degree turn. It's like you've been talking about judgment and, and casting us off and everything. And then all of a sudden, nope, but I'm not going to do that. But it's because of his own character and promises, he will not uh, be untrue to himself and what he has said. So you see the Lord, um, by his grace and mercy, working in such a way that the, the judgments are reversed and undone, and God's people are ultimately blessed as he redeems them. In the book of Jeremiah, chapter 3, we read these words. Go and proclaim these words toward the north, and say, Return, backsliding Israel, says Yahweh. I will not cause my anger to fall on you, for I am merciful, and that is the same word that we talked about earlier, of chesed, his covenant mercy, I am merciful, says Yahweh. I will not remain angry forever. Certainly there was judgment that fell upon the northern kingdom as they were carried away into captivity and eventually upon the southern kingdom as well. But the Lord uh, was not going to abandon them forever. Um, and so we have this reversal of fortune that's here. What, what we've had here in these brief verses is this overture that kind of sets the stage for how uh, the context in which Israel is going to be addressed. The, this, the imagery that is here, as well as the actual um, actions that are taken uh, by, Ho, uh, by Gomer and by Hosea are going to be carried out and shown to be uh, this picture of how God deals with a rebellious people. God willing, next week, we'll spend some time there in the remainder of chapter 2 and on into chapter 3 a bit, where we're going to look at the nature of the judgments that are going to come, that are going to come upon uh, Gomer and, by extension, Israel. And then we will spend some wonderful time looking at the Lord's mercy as he restores that marriage. Um, according to his merciful character, which is wonderfully encouraging uh, after hearing this rather grim beginning. So uh, this is a little less, a little less preaching today, but more of kind of laying the, the foundation for what we're going to be seeing in the chapters to come. 
And I trust, though, that as we look at this passage and think about this, this situation, put yourself, on the one hand, uh, in the shoes of Gomer and see your own tendency to faithlessness, your own tendency to wandering, and see, see characteristics of ourselves that we need to uh, be repenting of. But then also... Put yourself then in the Lord's shoes, so to speak, in the Lord's place, and, and, and strive to comprehend how reprehensible it is to receive mercy at his hand and then act as if it's nothing and live our own lives as if we have no obligation or relationship to him. Because that's what Israel was doing. And that's what... Yeah, we in our sins can all too often do, but by the grace of God, we need to uh, strive to be faithful to him and, and long for his mercy so that we will not be named Lo Ruhamah, Lo Ami, no mercy, not my people, but rather to be named as his people. As we see here, and uh, this one kind of summer, sums up the overture here in chapter 2 and verse 1. Say to your brothers, that's remember the brother is um, Lo Ami, um, you are my people. And say to your sisters, you have received mercy. And, and it's the same words there. Um, say to your brothers, Ami, instead of Lo Ami. Say to your sisters, Ruhama, mercy instead of no mercy. The Lord's making it clear. Situation is dire, but it's not hopeless because of who he is and what he does and how he acts. Let's rest in that, shall we? And let's go to prayer. Our gracious God, we would not be numbered among those who could be labeled low ruhamah, low Ami, we desire your mercy. We desire to be numbered among your people. Lord, even uh, as we consider the name of the legitimate son in this account, Jezreel, Lord, you are the one who sows. You have sown the gospel in our hearts. We pray that it would bear forth fruit. Lord, let us not walk in rebellion so that you sow, instead of good news, you sow the seeds of judgment to come because of our faithfulness, faithlessness. Lord, let us not be like Gomer. But let us be holy and righteous unto you. Give us the grace, Lord, to walk in such a way so that you will be glorified and your church built up. We pray these things in Christ's blessed name. Amen.